I'm Scott Abraham from ABC7 in Washington, D.C. You know who it is. Travis Thomas Experience. This is Eric at home of Yahoo Sports. This is Mitch Tischler. This is Al Galdi, and you're listening to The Big Douglas Show. Chase Hughes from NBC Sports Washington joins the show today. Chase, how are you? Doing great, Doug. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, love to talk a little football today, but before we do, I thought I'd ask you a couple basketball questions. Sure, sure. Uh, Wall, Beal, Bertans, Hachimuri, and Bryant. Is that how you see the starting five uh, at the first tip-off for next year? You know, I think all those guys will be on the team. Obviously, Davis Bertans is the big question because he is a free agent, but I don't think he'll be in the starting lineup. I think they like him off the bench as sort of a microwave scorer, uh, a guy who can be the, the primary offensive weapon in the second unit. Um, because uh, every team, you know, w- would love to have a guy like him. You saw him this year, you know, first quarter, early in the second quarter, and sometimes completely change uh, the energy of a game by popping off for two or three three-pointers very quickly. So even though his price tag is going to go up, um, I think they like him on the bench uh, for that reason. And also uh, defensively, you know, I think his issues uh, are compounded by the rest of the supporting cast. That's that's not a very good defensive lineup. The the offensive potential is there. I think you, you could be a threat at all three levels, but defensively that would probably be a nightmare. Does that mean Troy Brown finally starts next year, or how does that work out? Well, I think Troy Brown would be an option potentially. Isak Bonga they liked uh, in that role this year because he's just sort of a, a, a lanky guy who will just focus on defense and trying to grab rebounds and – uh, sort of a glue guy. He doesn't look for his own shot sometimes. Uh, you know, when you have a bunch of uh, – when you have four other players on the court who are looking for their own shot, it's nice to have a guy who isn't looking for his own shot. So I, I would say there's potential for that there. But also, you know, the the wing is probably their biggest positional need entering the offseason. They need a rim protector. They need defense. But just when it comes to the position itself, I think, uh, you know, at the three spot, there's a, a lack of depth there. There's certainly, at, the, at a minimum, the opportunity to add some comp- competition there. Um, but I think it's going to be their biggest, one of the biggest things that they're looking for in free agency and in the draft. Um, although I, don't, I think if they were to draft a wing, that guy would probably come off the bench to start. Despite million-dollar mansions, Beal is not asking for a trade. He does not want to be traded, and the team has no interest in trading him. Is that true? Yes, until we hear otherwise. That is the case. Obviously, he spent about – it wasn't just $1 million, I think it was about $7 million on a house out in Southern California, and that had a lot of people, including Snoop Dogg on FS1, saying, well, this must mean he's going to play <laughs> for the true. Lakers. But uh, it doesn't always mean that. You know, These guys have hundreds of millions of dollars. They can afford to have – uh, a, a second home in LA that they only spend the summers in, or, you know, when, when the wizards go to play the Lakers or the Clippers, he can stay there. It's kind of like having a really nice Airbnb. That's like 5,000 square feet or whatever this house is. Um, but that said, it can't be entirely discounted because Anthony Davis and Kawhi Leonard both bought houses in L- in the LA area when they were members of the, the Pelicans and the Raptors. And we all know what happened there. Um, but until we hear otherwise, uh, expect Bradley Beal to stay here. I mean, he sat through this past season uh, all because he was showing patience for this upcoming year when John Wall comes back and they've built this supporting cast around them with guys like Rui and Thomas Bryant, hoping to give it one more shot with Wall and Beal as the backcourt. And I think Brad's completely 
all in on that plan for now. I mean, but he, he signed an extension about a year ago today because he was signing up for essentially next season. So we'll see what happens. I, I think the leash is probably going to be pretty short. If things go south quickly, they'll have to blow it up. But for now, he's patient and he's going to give it another chance. Speaking of leashes, how long is Scott Brooks's? <laughs> One year, I would say. I mean, he's, he's entering the final year of his contract. And um, okay. I, I, I don't think there's any chance that they're going to, you know, sign an extension this offseason. But I don't think I mean, we already know that they're not going to get rid of him. I mean, he's he's due to make uh, seven million dollars. That's a lot of money um, considering the leagues and the team's finances after uh, the layoff and the lost games and, and everything to just pay a guy not to do anything. And, you know, similar but different to Bradley Beals, he was along for this past year all because. They were laying a foundation for the next season. So uh, they feel like he, he put some important work in in terms of trying to develop these young players. Um, and, you know, part of the payoff is that he gets to be around for this final season. Um, we'll see what I, – I don't know what would happen for him to be able to stick around beyond this year. I think certainly they would need to meet, if not uh, significantly exceed expectations for him to get a new contract. Um, but you know, how good do they have to be for him to get a new deal? Or even if they make the playoffs, is it a situation where they just mutually part ways? Um, I don't know. I I can't imagine that, you know, unless they, they vault right back into serious contention in the Eastern conference, they'd want to pay a head coach $7 million. Um, but it it all depends. I mean, I feel like this team, when it comes to Brooks, Beal, everybody, you know, it's hard to look too far down the road. Last one's on the Wizards. Is Wall fully healthy? And when do when do they expect to start the new basketball season? I know it's crazy because we just ended one, but they're trying to get right back into the swing. Of yeah, I mean, there. he's supposed to be fully healthy. You know, it's it's been quite a while since he's been removed from that Achilles surgery, which was in February of 2019. So you're talking uh, 20 months that it's been which is quite a bit longer than the average recovery from that uh, surgery, which is a pretty serious injury. Obviously it's about a 12 to 18 month recovery or some, some, most guys make it back in about a year. And, you know, some guys have taken 18 months. That's a long time. He's already taken 18 or 20 months, like I said, and the season's probably not going to start until January at the, at a minimum at the earliest. And there's been some talk of it starting in March. So by the time he comes back, he will be more than two years removed. Uh, from playing in an NBA game. But so health-wise, he should be okay. Now, whether he can be the same same player again, um, certainly there's some major questions there. It's pretty much unprecedented for a guy of his stature, his position with a game that's so predicated on speed to come back from that type of injury. But he does have the extra time built in. And I, I think he's got some skills that that will lend itself to, if he does have to change his game, he can still be successful. He's still a very big point guard. So he's always going to have – or he very often he's going to have a size advantage over the guy guarding him. And he's a very good passer. Um, that's not going to go away. And he's also a, a little bit better of a shooter than I think people give him credit for. And, you know, as long as the trajectory continues like it does for a lot of guys where he can slowly and surely get better as an outside shooter going through his career, um, then I think he'll be okay. But, uh, you know, we'll see. It's a very serious injury. All these, you know, things that people are taking for granted with him and Kevin Durant for that matter – um, it, it's, it's tough, man. Achilles are, are still a very difficult injury to come back from. Okay. All right, Chase, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Our Washington football team is a group of lovable losers. <laughs> uh, what did, 
What did you think of the uh, decision to go for two? Let's just get that out of the way right well, now. I, I tweeted some of this, but I have a theory about it. Um, I think that was a very clear sign to me that this team is tanking. And they're playing with Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, and you know maybe it's Trey Lance in mind. But you, know, you go back to earlier this season when Ron Rivera wasn't using his timeouts late in games that you know probably were out of hand, but they could have made it a little more interesting. They could have played to at least try to win, and they didn't. And he had these sort of strange explanations, and I felt like his explanation after going for two at the very end of that Giants game uh, was similar. And it just didn't, it seemed like something was, was a little fishy about the explanation. It seemed like he was lying and didn't really know what to say. And I think what you have here, and this is all a theory that Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio and this coaching staff took over. They sized up Dwayne Haskins said, okay, this guy's okay, but maybe the ceiling isn't as high as everyone else thought it was. And we're looking at this draft class that has three guys that most people believe to be in the top 10, including one guy in Trevor Lawrence, who is a generational prospect, probably on the level. A lot of people say of like a Peyton Manning or an Andrew Luck. It's your first year. You've got some time. There should be some built in patience for this rebuild, this culture rebuild that has been, um, you know, there's been a lot of different factors involved in it, even after he took over with all the different scandals they've gotten into and and the name change and, There's just reason to believe that this is going to take a while. So might as well take your lumps now and get your own quarterback, draft him, develop him, and hopefully set this team up for long-term success. So I'm 100% convinced, essentially, that this team is tanking, and they can't say it because no one says it. And you have this guy, Ron Rivera, who's not very good at lying, but it's becoming increasingly clear to me that he is lying. He's just not doing a very good job of it. It's funny you say that. I, I was saying that yesterday myself. The, the coach has actually been pretty good about telling you how he feels. And I think maybe we just don't listen. Today he said the messaging has been the same the whole time. And to your point, uh, it has been. They're, they're not playing to win these games. He continues to say that they are. Uh, he said yesterday had something to do with playing on the road is, <laughs> is how he – goes about the two-point conversions, which confused me again. Right, there's no fans in the crowd. Um, because that's right, that's right. Uh-huh. But apparently if they were at FedEx, he'd have kicked the extra point and they'd have gone on to uh, overtime. Um, you know, the other interesting thing about the tanking for Trevor, this has to be the worst year for it. There are currently 10 one-win teams in the league. And I don't know that the Jets have another game on this schedule that's winnable. Yeah, I mean, that's the team that is going to be their biggest competition, uh, I think. So, now, some of these teams with one or, or, or two wins, I, I think, have a chance to reel off a few. Like, I, I don't think the Falcons are going to finish with one of the worst records in the NFL. The Chargers are one and four, but they've been banged up. And Herbert looks like he's pretty good. Like, they might have a second half of the season run in them. Um, the Jaguars are pretty bad. Uh, the, the, I mean, the Jets are probably going to be your biggest competition. But if Sam Darnold comes back, I mean, I don't know. Maybe they fire Adam Gase and you know the new whoever takes over, Greg Williams or whoever it is, gets them a few wins. But I think you would take solace in the fact if if you are you know if you're rooting for Washington to get a quarterback as I am, and that there's more than one. You know, Trevor Lawrence is probably going to be the number one pick. But if you have the number two pick, you might get Justin Fields. And just because Trevor Lawrence is this uber prospect doesn't mean he's going to be the best player in the draft, even if he works out. 
I mean, in 2012, uh, Andrew Luck uh, was can't miss first overall pick and immediately, you know, led the Indianapolis Colts to division championships. But he wasn't the best quarterback in that draft. Russell Wilson was, you know, so um, Pat Mahomes was picked 15th. Uh, Aaron Rodgers in the 20s. Um, odds are the top guy in the draft is not going to be the, the best quarterback, even if that guy is basically can't miss. So Trey Lance, uh, I haven't seen a ton of him play. I've seen plenty of fields and, and uh, plenty of Lawrence, of course. Um, I think you probably can't go wrong either of those three ways, especially if you, know, if you get the second pick and get Justin Fields. I think you feel pretty good about that. Does Justin Fields concern you coming out of that can't miss Ohio State offense? <laughs> yeah, you know, that's uh, – look, I'm not going to pretend to be uh, an expert at evaluating quarterbacks uh, for the NFL. It does become difficult in a situation like that because we all watched the Haskins highlights once they drafted him, and you see him back there for four or five seconds. Uh, he's got the perfect pocket. All of his wide receivers and all of his running backs seemingly are future pros. And that's been the case for Trevor Lawrence, too. I mean, at Clemson, you know, what you watch him, and it's really impressive how he stands in the pocket at 6'5", 6'6", and just delivers dimes all over the field. But he's doing so with extra time to throw, and these guys are making amazing catches. Um, you know, some of these throws he's making are off his back foot, and you wonder, is he going to be able to get away with that in the NFL? And, and Justin Fields is the same type of guy. I would just say that Fields seems a little bit more dynamic uh, as a runner, and just the total package than Haskins was at Ohio State. But, you know, that's, that's my, me sitting in my, my couch chair talking about uh, evaluating these quarterbacks. Uh, it's, it's not easy. I just think that, you know, people – I listen to the draft evaluators that say this is a really good quarterback class, and if you're in position to draft one of them, then, then it's up to you and your front office to make the right choice. Uh, yep, and to your point, it's about finding these guys, developing them, and giving them weapons. Because to your point, guys are taken in the middle round and succeed all the time. In fact, I think you'd be hard pressed to count more than three or four first overall picks that actually work out at the quarterback spot. Uh, poor City Charles got in. Everybody was super excited, uh, and he lasted two plays. I, I guess they say he'll be all right, uh, but Schweitzer looks pretty good and and replace they can't run the ball at all though three point something yards per carry last in the league uh maybe that's because they are still converting wide receivers <laughs> yeah well yeah that's uh that's the problem like you know it, it, say you get the second or third overall pick and it's not trevor lawrence so it's not a slam dunk decision and you're gonna look at your roster and see a lot of needs i mean you could justify taking a lot of different positions uh, with your top pick. Uh, so um, I, I feel like the, 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 whatever quarterback they got, it, they would be coming into about as bad of a situation as you can find in terms of the offensive line in front of them, the running game, the, the pass catching weapons. You know, you would love to have a, a good tight end at least. I mean, Logan Thomas is okay. He made a nice touchdown catch yesterday, but um, the system in the, in the, the foundation just isn't there for a quarterback. Uh, and the offensive line concerns me the most, you know, wide receivers um, are important and they can really help your cause. But um, the offensive line, I mean, outside of Sheriff and, and Moses is okay. And, and, you know, you mentioned some of the young guys that are, are decent you know, you got a pretty gaping hole at left tackle. And that's such an important position. Um, you know, long-term, I think you need to invest a lot of your draft picks in the offensive line. You essentially need to rebuild it. And it's like, how good can your team be without a good offensive line? 
Um, it's it seems like they're almost years away from from having a good offensive line, and, and that's going to affect the development of what a rook, whatever rookie quarterback comes in. So, if they do spend that top pick on a quarterback, you know, say it's the second pick overall, um, I think you got to go offensive line in that second round, um, or, or or you know, spend some of that cat room that they've been talking about the last few years that they've cleared. Um, you're going to have to address that offensive line in a big way. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I saw that J.P. Finley this morning had written something to the effect of New England is concerned that uh, Washington will be back into the Cam Newton discussion next year. And, and so you wonder if maybe the team is looking at, hey, we just got to spend a full draft on compliments if that's you know, Jalen Waddle or the top off, you know, tackle or the top middle linebacker, but spend this entire draft just loading up the roster so that whoever is quarterback in two years, let's say, isn't coming into what you're talking about, which is the coverage are bare. Because I'd say, I mean, can we name 10 players on this team that you feel really comfortable with building a franchise around? I tried that this morning, and I think I got to seven or eight, and it gets kind of tough. Yeah, and even on the defensive side, like obviously – Chase Young looks great. Montez Sweat is – I'm really pleased with his development. Um, but, you know, all the, all the resources they poured into that front seven, it's not like it's a dominant unit at this point. So you've, you've got some pieces, but you've got a long way to go. Um, and uh, when it comes to bringing in a free agent quarterback, that, that is – I think there's definitely potential for that. You know, I don't know if it's going to look like the, the class that we had this last offseason with Tom Brady and Drew Brees is almost a free agent there – Cam Newton and Philip Rivers and Teddy Bridgewater. There were, there were just a lot of different players to go around. But, you know, if you're talking about a, a quarterback class and, uh, in the draft and some of these guys, uh, some of these teams that could have a high draft pick and maybe want to go in a different direction, like in Atlanta, you know, maybe then Matt Ryan becomes available. Or if the, the New York Jets do get the first overall pick and it's Trevor Lawrence, then, you know, maybe Sam Darnold becomes available. Uh, Cam Newton – I just feel like if if Ron Rivera and, and Scott Turner wanted Cam Newton, they would have signed him this past offseason, right? I mean, obviously Cam Newton found a much better situation than he would have gotten here. Um, I just feel like if they if they were only impressed with Dwayne Haskins enough to give him four games, then they weren't that impressed. And maybe they could have just signed him last offseason. But um, who knows? I mean, it probably depends on where they are in the draft and I can't imagine Ron Rivera next season will have anything close to the patience that he's showing in terms of, you know, not necessarily going after wins in some of these games, no matter what he says. I would imagine the urgency is going to be there next year because he knows that, you know, this league, you can't, you can only lose for so long that, you know, the ownership group is going to want to see some results. Were you surprised that they pulled Haskins that quick? I was, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I have not been all that impressed with Dwayne Haskins. Um, I, but going into this year, I wanted him to start all 16 games, or at least you know 10 of them. Um, I thought that it was pretty much a win-win situation because you've got this young quarterback and you've got a season where it's going to be a developmental year. If you give him the full season and he starts to ascend and show some promise, then that's a great thing because he's on a rookie contract and that's the most valuable thing you can have in this sport essentially is a really good quarterback on a rookie contract. The other way you would win is if he doesn't get better, then at least you know that he's not the guy and you probably pile up a ton of losses and get a high draft pick in a class that has some really good quarterbacks. 
So I was really surprised that they pulled the plug as quickly as they did. I think it was 10 starts or something. I actually wrote something for NBC Sports Washington looking at first-round draft pick quarterbacks since 2000 and how many of them played fewer games than Dwayne Haskins did, fewer starts before they got benched. And there were only three guys, um, and one of them was Johnny Manziel, who, you know, obviously it wasn't only because he wasn't a good quarterback, because he had really serious off-field uh, issues. So it, it was extremely unusual yeah. how quickly they pulled the plug on Dwayne Haskins. And obviously, it sounds like there were some, some work ethic concerns, and if you're trying to build a culture, you can't just give someone a job, especially at the quarterback spot, because it might – you know, send the wrong message to other players. But I hope that he can get back there under center and we can see him, you know, see what happens when he's motivated by this, this slight. I, don't, I hope they don't just trade him immediately. Um, not that I think he can be the guy, but I, I think I'd like to see more before making that determination. Well, and at this point, I think they can only hope to put him back out on the field and let him improve his trade value if that's what they plan on doing. You know, the other thing, you made a good point – it, it must have been the work ethic because if they they had to have thought fairly highly of him to not have been interested in Cam yeah, Newton at yeah, all. And, um, and that, that was the thing that surprised me, to your point, was how quick the, the leash was when they didn't go out yeah, and get absolutely. a Cam Newton and, and when it comes to the, the work ethic, um, you know, it really doesn't matter how high your ceiling is physically or how strong your arm is or how accurate you are. If you don't work hard – I, I I mean, Ron Rivera has been around long enough. You're, pro you're probably not going to have very much success at the, the quarterback spot. So um, when I hear the amount of people who have said that, and, and in particular Doug Williams, I think there, there's got to be something there. But hopefully, you know, the, the, the work ethic changes now that he's had this, um, this slight. Because, you, you, you know, you mentioned the trade value. I don't think they could get anything for him right now. And what's interesting about that is if you compare it to how the, the Cardinals treated – Josh Rosen, obviously they gave up on him very quickly. Uh, 13 starts, I think, so just a little bit longer than Dwayne Haskins. But they were able to get a second-round pick and a fifth-round pick for him. I think they had to give up another uh, late-round pick to the Miami Dolphins. But, I mean, a second-round pick and a fifth-round pick, I think we would all take that for Dwayne Haskins at this point. But it also doesn't seem like they could get that because they've ruined his trade value. So I think you compare it to how the Cardinals – handled things and that was the smart way to do it don't leak these reports into the media because it's only going to hurt your cause you you might want to have the fans and everyone in the media know the real reason why you bench the guy but i think it's it's more trouble than it's worth and it causes more damage than you think and right now i, I mean i'd be surprised if they got a, a fifth or sixth round pick for him They'd be lucky to get back the fifth that they traded yeah. away to get his back crazy. Up, which is but insane. that's how, that's how uh, Washington handles things, right? I mean, you thought that would change um, when Bruce Allen left because that was kind of his M.O., um, but unfortunately the same thing happens. And it's unfortunate because when they benched Dwayne Haskins, I saw a lot of people say, oh, this is the same dysfunction that we see with the Washington football team. And I remember tweeting like, I don't know, man, like that they're actually you know holding this guy accountable. I feel like they wouldn't do that in the past. But then all the leaks came out, and it made me look really stupid. Well, but that's the odd thing, right? Because we were all ready for the leaks to change. They promised that would be what happened, and everybody said, same old Washington. Well, again, I guess that's why the more things change, the more they stay the same, because unless it's Kyle Smith or the owner, I mean, that's basically all that's left now, yeah, right? And I mean, Everybody was, is was, new. I, I remember, like – so. 
Yeah, and I remember like when they did the front office upheaval in the offseason, one of the firings, I remember a lot of the media members, the reporters were like, yeah, they, they caught this guy leaking stuff to the media. So it was like, I mean, they had that, and then they had obviously there was uh, some people who left due to this, the scandal that was uncovered by the Washington Post, but it's like, how do these leaks continue to happen? They they got to they gotta find the source of them, unless they were coming from you know, Rivera or Smith, like you said, because they just wanted to get this out there about Haskins to explain it. Um, but it just, yeah. Or a player. Maybe play. That, that was the only other thing I had thought is maybe players went and said something. Because to your point earlier, it makes no sense for Ron to do it because you're just ruining whatever trade value. Right. And if it's a player, then that, that might be indicative of the culture that Ron Rivera needs to change. Right. I mean, uh, yeah, you're right. I mean, as we talk through this, it just seems so unlikely that Rivera would put out put that out there because it, it could only hurt him much more than it can help him and and his team's cause. So I would imagine that behind the scenes, he probably would love to know who put that stuff out there. Were you a fan of Rivera? I was. Um, he wasn't my first choice. I actually wanted them to go after <clears throat> Jim Harbaugh. <laughs> of Michigan, but he, he wasn't going to leave college, but I just was um, not a fan of Harbaugh's when he took over in San Francisco. And then he won me over because he was just, he was just so good there. Um, one of the winningest head coaches um, in the NFL during his time. I mean, I think only Belichick was better. So I, I really wanted him, but I mean, I liked the Ron Rivera hire. I was impressed with what he did in Carolina. You know, the worst record he ever had was five and seven, essentially. You know, he never really bottomed out. So that, that also kind of adds into my theory of like them being um, one in five right now, right? That's pretty unusual for Ron Rivera. He's, he's a good enough coach to keep the ship afloat. So um, that adds into my theory that, you know, maybe he, he doesn't think that piling up losses would be the worst thing in this year. But I wanted them to go defense. I like the idea of getting someone experienced. And I, I thought he had done a good job in Carolina for a long time. So I, I was fine with the hire, yeah. All right, Chase, one last one for you. When the when the draft comes, let's switch back to the Wizards for a second. Who who do you think what do you think that looks like when they well, uh, when I they're think up the to draft? The best case scenario for them would be if Onyeka Okongwu of USC fell to number nine. There's some questions about whether he'll be there because he could go as high as fifth or maybe even fourth, I've seen in some mock drafts, but he's essentially a sixth. Yeah, he's, he's the center. Six nine rim protector, averaged uh, two point seven blocks a game last year. Um, Fifteen points, about eight or nine rebounds, and basically he's a rim protector and athletic big man. And that's what the Wizards need. You know, they were the worst defense in the NBA, one of the worst defenses in NBA history. They're one of the worst rebounding teams. Um, they need someone who can. Uh, guard multiple positions, and that's what Okongwu can do. I, I don't think you're going to get much from him offensively. He can't really shoot the ball, but he's pretty athletic, pretty decent actually off the dribble in the mid-range, and I think he'd make a good uh, pair with, with John Wall as a pick-and-roll uh, partner and also as just a rim runner. But defense is, is the name of the game, and I think when it comes to John Wall, I, would, I think it's very important for them to find a rim protector this offseason because – when he's coming back from that ruptured Achilles, I think he'll be okay offensively. But defense, I do have some concerns because he's coming back from an injury that affects your lateral movement. And he already had some trouble staying in front of NBA point guards before he got injured. And these are literally some of the quickest, fastest athletes on the planet. So if you could 
create a defensive foundation around him. I think you could mitigate some of the problems that he's probably going to present at the top of the defense. So Okongwu is the best-case scenario. Precious Achua of Memphis could do some similar things. He's not quite as good as Okongwu. Um, but I would say probably the most likely guy, since Okongwu, I don't know if he'll be there, is probably Devin Vassell of Florida State. He's a shooting guard, small forward. He can shoot over 40% from three. Good defensive player, forces a lot of turnovers. And as we previously discussed, that's a long-term need for them on the wing. Chase, thank you so much for your time today. You guys got anything coming up this week over at NBC Sports? Just uh, continuing to to go through all the different scenarios for the NBA draft with the Wizards. It's uh, it's the the thick of the off season now that the finals are over. Chase Hughes, everybody, thank you. Thanks a lot, Doug.